Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How we doing? We good? Hey, all right. You sound good. You are looking good today. Look to your neighbor and say, you look good. You look good. Look to your other neighbor and say, I don't think they paid the air conditioning bill today. It's a little warm in here. Uh, but that's all right. You use those tithe envelopes, those connection cards, those fans. That's fine. If you ball them up and hit somebody, they're probably going to hit you back. All right? But you can use them as a fan. Feel free to do that. But uh, I'm thankful that you're here. You get a lot of warm bodies in here. It doesn't cool down as quick as we want it to. But uh, I am thankful that you're here. You chose a great day to be here. Uh, we've already had an unbelievable time together, and I'm believing God for uh, another amazing time together in these next few moments that we have. And I tell this joke, it's, it's one of the three or four that I've got. I tell this joke about twice a year, but when I was growing up, my dad was my pastor, and when he would preach on days like this, he would say, you know, there's a couple hard things to do in life. The first hard thing to do is to climb a wall that's leaning toward you. That's pretty difficult to do. He said the second hard thing to do is to kiss a girl that's leaning away from you. That's also a very difficult thing. I've tried it. I don't recommend it. The third hard thing to do is to, to, to preach or teach to a group of people that are waiting to eat and play games. And I know that some of you, that's kind of where you're at. You walked up today and your kids were getting out of the car and they were like, I don't want to go to church. Maybe you decided you didn't want to go to church, but you're in the room. And so we're going to buckle up and just get some stuff done today. But I am thankful that you're here. Uh, it's a great day. It's Sunday fun day. This is something we do annually where we just come together for a time outside after church to fellowship and to have some fun together. Church should be fun. Right? Can I get in it? You missed a good amen spot right there. Church should be fun. It should be community and fellowship. And there's a lot that we do in this moment and these moments that are sacred, but our relationships with one another and how we express those things, we should have a good time doing that. I think that the followers of Jesus Christ should be some of the most joy-filled people on the planet. And so we want to do that together today after our service. And so I'm excited you'll hang around for a few minutes and eat some barbecue and play some games. We'll have a good time. We also had our ribbon cutting right before this service, and hopefully some of you were here early enough to be a part of that. But we were celebrating the provision of God through God's people that we were able to purchase this entire building and all of the surrounding property here uh, to allow us to continue to do ministry in this place. We've been renters since our first service all the way back in January of 2012 for the first few years at Sequoia High School and since then here in this facility, but as renters. And so now we're owners and we're thankful for that. And I said just a few minutes ago in, in that ceremony that this ribbon cutting was not a finish line, but a new starting line, that we're trusting God for just kind of renewing our faith and trust in him for all that he has before us in the days ahead. And, and I'm never, I've never been more committed to that than I am right now. And so I'm thankful for all that God has done. And one more quick thing that I just want to tell you is if you have recently made a first-time decision to follow Jesus Christ, or you've made what we call a recommitment, we would love for you to go public with that in baptism, water baptism on Sunday, September the 10th. So it's just a few weeks away. We want you to register on our website or the Church Center app and be baptized on that Sunday. And if you'll go ahead and do that now, that'll give you time to tell your friends and family so they can come and celebrate with us as we celebrate God's work in you. So we want you to be a part of that. Well, today we are concluding the series that we started a few weeks ago called Figuring Out Family. And so we were looking at, as we started this school year, looking at all of the various dynamics that we could fit into four weeks of sermons uh, into this family dynamic. And we recognize that all of us are a part of a family. Even if you don't have maybe the kind of marriage and two or three kids or whatever in your current home, you are from a family. You have a family of origin. So all of us have some context of family. And so we've been talking about that over these last few weeks. So the first week we talked about faith in families. 
And we said that faith cannot be an add-on. It can't just be an extra thing. It can't be the side dish. Faith's got to be the main thing. It's got to be central to your family if you really want family to work in the way that God has called it and commanded it to work. And then the second week, we said, hey, we recognize that sometimes the people closest to you can hurt you the deepest. And so we talked about forgiveness in family. So faith in family, forgiveness in family. Last week, Pastor Aaron really talked to us about friendship in family and how do we, how do we love the people that we live with and how do we like the people that we live with, right? And having marriages and relationships with our children, our grandchildren, grandparents, in-laws, how do we have those kinds of meaningful friendships and relationships And so today, as we've been tracking along with the the song that you just heard, we heard it a few months ago, we kind of put some of our families on the screen, we've been tracking with the lyrics to this Jonas Brothers song that we heard that says, don't get stressed, it's going to get figured out. Oh, deep conversations at the Waffle House, all good things happen at Waffle House. Headstrong father and a determined mother. Oh, that's why some nights we tried to kill each other, some of you have been there, but you know it's always love. And we want to find that kind of loving relationship, no matter the stress, the personalities, the relationships within each family unit, we want to get to that place where we love each other, we like each other, and we're living in this God-called, fulfilling, thriving kind of family dynamic. So we've talked about faith, we've talked about forgiveness, we talked about friendship. Today, as we've looked at mothers and fathers in this song, we're going to talk about functions in families. That may not be the best word, but it starts with an F, so we're going to go with it. Uh, So the functions of families, and we're going to hustle, okay? So everybody do this. This is super cheesy. Act like you're putting a seatbelt on, all right? Put it on. We're going to hustle today. We're going to cover a lot of ground, so I want you to make sure that you're with me. You with me? All right, some of you are with me. So you got some notes open. We're going to jump into God's word, and we're going to talk this first function about marriage. We're going to talk about marriage, and if you got a Bible, you can go with me to Genesis chapter 2. It's the first book of the Bible. We're going to the second chapter of that book, and we're going to talk about marriage. Now, we've talked about marriage a little bit in week one, a little bit in week two, but today I want to spend a few more minutes talking about this idea of marriage because I recognize that a number of you in the room are married or you desire to be married at some point. Some of you have been married, and you are now divorced or have been divorced, so you recognize the tension that may exist in a family relationship or a marital relationship that either one or both partners are not kind of grounded in faith in Jesus Christ. And, and maybe, maybe one of you was and the other wasn't, and so that's where things got off the rails a little bit. But as we talk about marriage, I want us to look to God's word and not just to external sources. We're going to talk about a few other those sources in a minute. But this is what it says in Genesis 2, verses 20 through 24. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the space, that place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh." Now, there's a couple of interesting things here to recognize. First, this passage in Genesis was quoted by Jesus in the Gospels. It was also quoted by the Apostle Paul later in the New Testament letters. And so this passage is one that is referenced a couple of places in the Bible. But when we're looking at this passage, we see that it predates the law. It predates government. And so we believe that marriage is an institution that was established by God himself. And that that institution that God established was that he made a man and then he made a woman and he united them to become one. It's kind of that God math that doesn't always make sense, right? One plus one equals 
one. And so you're trying to figure out what does that look like? Well, it looks like what God defined it to be. And that's how we see marriage defined. And so when we stand for this definition of marriage and we stand against efforts to redefine marriage, we don't do that because we're judgmental or we're mean or we're hypocritical people. We do that because we don't believe that we get to redefine something that God himself defined. And so for all of us, as we try to recognize what does this look like, we recognize that some people see this differently than we do. We recognize that you may read scripture, you may love God, but you see marriage differently than we do. And we love you and we want you to be here and we want you to belong to this place as you struggle to search to believe what you understand to believe. But we need you to know where we stand on this issue, that we hold these truths from scripture that God defined marriage. And so we believe that this is God's best for you. And that anything outside of this, not one single specific thing, but anything outside of this is not God's best and not God's design for marriage. And so it makes it more difficult. And so we honor marriage. In fact, it says that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, when it says this, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. We don't isolate one sin over another, one thing over another. We believe that marriage as defined and as created by God is to be honored. And anything outside of that definition that God has created, any type of sexual immorality, any type of adultery, anything that goes against that is not God's best for any of us. And so we, we strive to keep the marriage bed pure. We don't violate the trust of our spouse and we don't play married. In this culture, there's a lot of things that are pushing at the idea of marriage. And one of those is that just for our pleasure, there may be other circumstances at play, but in the instance here, just for our pleasure, we would just kind of kick the tires a little bit. We would just decide like, hey, is this what we want to do without commitment to one another, without fully giving ourselves toward one another? We would just live together. And cohabitation actually makes it more difficult if you do intend to get married. Uh, latest studies reveal that somewhere between 50 and 80% more likely to be divorced if you live together prior <laughs> To marriage, and, and maybe some of you are like, hey, man, we did live together before we got married, and, and what are you telling us? I'm saying, hey, God can restore, God can redeem, God is gracious and merciful, but if you are in a place right now where you're choosing that route, I'm saying don't make it harder than it has to be. Choose God's best, choose God's design, but I also want you to hear my heart right here. All of the things that I've already talked about a little bit right here so far make it sound like we're just saying like, hey, you know, marriage can be a struggle and man, there's some heaviness to it and maybe there is, but it's not just that we're calling us or that we believe scripture is calling us just to hold on and try to make it through and just don't do bad things. No, no, no. We believe that God desires for you to have a loving, fulfilling marriage. We believe it's a gift to you, and we believe that if you desire to be married, God desires for you to be married, and he wants it to be a loving environment, one that makes you better and one that makes them better. Look at this in Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. It's a good thing. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a good thing. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm still hot in the room. I'm still hot in the room. It's a good thing. And I know some of you in the room, you're single and you don't want to be. And if the desire of your heart is to be married, I encourage you to continue to seek the Lord, allow him to continue to shape and mold you and trust that when the time is right, he will send you the gift of a spouse and it will be a gift to you. And when you receive that gift of a spouse, treat them as such. Because I think there might be some people in the room that would tell you, hey, they are already married or they have been married and they stopped treating one another as a gift. 
They stopped treating one another as a blessing from God, and perhaps that's where things started down a path towards trouble. I love these verses in Proverbs 31. This is a chapter that's often used to speak on Mother's Day or to women, but look at the language here that says this in verse 11 and 12. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Her husband has full confidence in her, that he believes in her. He calls out the God calling on the inside of her. He paints the potential that exists in her life and that they are mutually beneficial to one another. This is a gift from God. What a beautiful picture for both partners here. And again, maybe you're sitting here today and you recognize like, hey, that's not the picture of our current marriage. I'm sitting next to my spouse or I wish I was sitting next to my spouse. I'm here, they're not. Or maybe we're both here, but we both recognize like it doesn't feel like this beautiful picture you're trying to paint, and we're just not sure what the next step is. Well, I know what the narrative of culture would tell you the next step is, that there's just, you know, an easy out. And let me just say to you, I don't know all the dynamics of your relationship. I don't know everything you're walking through, everything you have walked through. I don't know all that you're facing. And there may be some specific things that are insurmountable, perhaps, There's some things that are spelled out in scripture and maybe you feel like you are justified. But as we read through the pages of scripture, like 99.9% of irreconcilable differences through the power of God are reconcilable. And we believe that God's power can redeem those things that are broken and seem lost in your marriage and in your relationship. And one of the best things that you can do, even if you don't feel like it today, is to come to church together. In fact, statistics tell us this, couples who attend church weekly are 47% less likely to divorce. Couples who attend church together weekly are 47% less likely to divorce. Church isn't the magic formula, but it's like the secret sauce, right? It's not the magic formula, but man, it's just the secret sauce. And I I also, I said it earlier, but I know that culture's kind of pushing on the idea of marriage. Is it worth it? Why does it matter? Should we do it? Should we not? And I told you a few weeks ago, the kind of the normal conversation is that, hey, 50% of marriages are going to end in divorce anyway, so why should we even worry about getting, marriage, uh, getting married? And let me just say to you again, and I talked about this two weeks ago, that's just, that statistic is false. It, it's not a true statistic, not from a real study. In the early 1980s, they did a study based on the lifespan of the average adult and the probability they might get married depending on how long they lived. They did not look at couples and look at their ratios and percentages of getting divorced. They didn't. In in fact, the current numbers are this. In the United States, 22% of women and 21% of men have ever been divorced even one time. When you add in those who have been married and divorced a second or third or even fourth time, and you start to see those numbers come down, it is far less than 50% of marriages that end in divorce. So I'm telling you, you can make it. Like you can have a fulfilling, thriving, God-honoring relationship in your marriage. So love Jesus with all your heart. Love your spouse. When things are tough, get into counseling. We believe in it. We think it would help you find you a Christian counselor that will ground you in the word of God. We'll help you find someone. Pray together, forgive, rebuild trust, and be a testimony of God's redemptive work in your family's story. Change the narrative. There are some people in this room that can speak to that reality being possible. So we got to view God's view marriage God's way and see if it doesn't function a little better. Here's the second function we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about parenting. Now I recognize when I say parenting, that also includes a lot of different perspectives in the room. Some of you have no kids. Some of you don't ever want kids. You just want to be the cool aunt and uncle. And that's awesome too. We love the cool aunt and uncle. 
Uh, now that our kids are grown, I love holding your babies and then giving them back. And, uh, but like some of you, you have grade school age kids. Some of you have toddlers and little babies, right? Some of you have empty nests because your, your babies have all grown and they're having babies perhaps. And so there's a lot of different context here. And I don't have time to unpack all of these things, nor do I position myself as an expert in this field. But I just want to remind parents of a few guiding principles. Here's the first. Parents have one job. One job. Now, I know you're thinking, that's not true. I've done 78 jobs today for my kids, right? But parents have one job. Look at this in Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. That's our responsibility as parents. That's the job that we have been given and tasked with. And, and I don't say that to minimize the hundreds or even thousands of other things that we get to do as parents. And I did say get to do as parents, because I know there's a lot of people that would dis- love to have children and they don't get to have children for one reason or another. So when we recognize that, we say, hey, we get to do these things as parents. We teach them to walk and talk. We teach them to read and write along with their teachers. We teach them yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. We teach them please and thank you. We teach them to date. We teach them to manage money. We teach them to drive, and so much more. But when God gave you children, he knew who you were. He knew who you were, and he knew what your personality would be. And he also knew that there would be a struggle for some of us because we would be swayed by TikTok videos and Instagram reels and Facebook posts, and we would be worried about how other moms make the school lunches for their kids and all that they include, and our kids just get little Debbies and, you know, a Coke. I mean, that's just what they're getting, right? And it's like, okay, that's just, I mean, maybe that makes us a terrible parent, but that's what my kids are getting. I don't know. Or we look at it and we're like, oh my goodness, look at the first car they gave their kid. We can't afford to give them a bicycle, right? I mean, it's just like, we're just the comparison game robs us of the joys of parenting, but God knew who you were, and God entrusted those children to you, and so you have to parent out of your personality. He made you. He entrusted these children into your care to teach them a ton of things, but the one job he asks you to do is to help them to understand who God is and who God can be for them. Perhaps the most popular verse other than the one we just read about parenting is found in Ephesians chapter 6. When it says this in verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think the first part of that verse is the one that gets all the publicity. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I think moms say that. Kids will quote that at their fathers. It's like, hey, don't provoke me to anger. I don't know. Maybe your kids don't do that. My kids didn't do that. But maybe that's, that's how that's played. But I think the second part of that verse is the most important part, that we wouldn't provoke our children to anger, but we would bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When they are babies and toddlers, it's all about love and affection, creating boundaries for them to understand what authority looks like and what rules, yes and no, right and wrong looks like. When, as they get older, it's about reinforcing those virtues, modeling faith for them, helping them to possess faith for themselves. Our children need to find their identity and their worth in Jesus Christ alone. And as parents, it's important for us not to cause our children, even as we brag on them, even as we're excited about their accomplishments, not to think that we only love them based on the things that they do. And so we've got to make sure that we model for them the unconditional love of the father so that they see the father as an unconditional love towards them. We only have one primary job. Don't let the other stuff cloud out the one job we've been tasked to do to teach our children the understanding of who God is to them. Here's the second thing for parents that we need to recognize. Sometimes discipline is necessary. 
It's, it's re- represented right there in what we just read, but sometimes discipline is necessary. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, if you don't punish your children, you don't love them. Ooh, man, none of the kids said amen right there. That's okay. <laughs> if you do love them, you will correct them. If you do love them, you will correct them. Again, depending on your stage of life, you may feel like all you do is discipline your kids. Anybody just want to be brave enough to say, I feel like that's what I do 24-7 right now. Yeah, some of you. I remember a season of time when our kids were younger and I came home one day from work. And at that time, we had a six, four, and two-year-old boys and a newborn little girl, okay? And the six-year-old was a little cautious, so he would make the two-year-old like ride the bicycle down the slide and hurt himself. And, you know, the newborn would be laying in the living room floor just fine by herself. And the four-year-old would just come and like grab her by the neck and bring her into the kitchen and, you know, just lovingly in a kind way. And you know, I came home one day, I just remember vividly coming home one day like hero of the world, like I could solve all the world's problems. And she was like, I feel like all I've done is gotten onto him all day. Can you just help me for a few? Like some of you, that's, that's the season you find yourself in right now. That's where you are. You just feel like, man, I'm just, I discipline. What do you think? Discipline's necessary. Absolutely. It's not. That's all we're doing right now in this season. But I want you to remember that like it's just a season. Discipline stays with you, but like what you're in right now is just a season. I remember when we were in seasons like that, some of the older, really well-intended parents and maybe even grandparents in our lives would look at us with all the compassion they could muster. And they were trying to encourage us by saying, oh man, the days are long, but the years are so short. I'd be like, you shut your mouth is what you can say right now. Because the days are long. That's all we're worried about. The days are long, right? And I recognize like that may be where you're at right now and it feels like it's never going to end. And, and again, the season we find ourselves in is so different. And I, I'm probably sure that there's some couples on our staff that have young children that I love to hold and give back. But like that I've probably said that, oh, just man, the, the days are long, but the years are so short. And they probably said, you shut your mouth. I mean, I don't know what they've said, but like I just, I recognize like there is truth in that, but sometimes it's just the days are long. Because time flies when you're having fun, but it also flies when you're not having fun. Like time's just moving. It's just flying. And so we have to be super intentional with our time, and we have to recognize that we should have tons of fun. We should do all the things that we desire to do as parents, but we have to hold our children accountable because ultimately they will become adults, and so much of what they will become is formed in those early years And so the key here is to view discipline for what it actually is. And let me just say, like, if you love discipline, like, there's a whole other issue. we got to preach about it at some point. That's not what I'm talking about. So we've got to view discipline for what it actually is. Discipline, when it's done correctly, isn't actually about correcting past bad behavior. It's about creating future right behavior. So when my kids do something and I correct them or discipline them, I'm, I'm for sure recalling what they just did because it's fresh. Hey, you don't, we don't tell lies in our family. So here's the punishment for telling a lie. Well, I'm definitely calling out what they just did. But what I'm trying to help them to understand is there is a consequence for that behavior. So as you move forward, don't do that behavior and you can avoid some of the consequence. So discipline, when it's done right, isn't about correcting past bad behavior. It's using that behavior to create future right behavior. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I think that's what my dad meant when he said, this hurts me worse than it hurts you. I don't know. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Later it yields something. And if we keep that in mind, it helps to shape the discipline that we're talking about. So you have to decide what is most important. In our home, Corey said this a number of years ago when our kids were very, very small and we started quoting it, it kind of became a family mantra. If you make everything a big deal, then nothing is a big deal. If you make everything a big deal, then nothing is a big deal. So you have to decide, what are the big deals in your family? What are the big deals for your children? They're not all created equal. And so spilling milk, that might have been disobedience if they knew they weren't supposed to have it in that place. So we deal with that. But that doesn't get equal punishment as telling a lie or breaking curfew or stealing from... Like, there are some things that we are unapologetically about and those things that we are against in our family, there are some big deals. But if you make everything a big deal, if you respond equally to all things, then nothing's a big deal and your kids will recognize that. Then your kids get older, they grow up, and you're left to wonder as you trained up that child in the way that they should go, would they depart from it? Would they? Because it seems like they're departing from it. It seems like they're walking away from what we've invested in the seeds we planted in their life. And I would say to you that you are not responsible for what they do. There comes a point when they are adults, they make decisions, they have to choose to follow Christ or not. We pray and believe that the seeds we've planted, God will bring people along their path to water those seeds and to nurture those things through relationship. But they have to find Christ and truth for themselves. But you've planted the seed. You've trained them up. Proverbs says it this way in Chapter 13, verse 1, it says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. You can only be responsible for what you are responsible for. You plant seed, you train them up, and you trust God that they will take those things and put them into practice. And I think that's why it's so important for all of us to recognize that while they are living in our home, we don't try to pull them away and isolate them from the world, but we try to help them to understand how to nurture the word of God and the work of God in their hearts and in their lives under our care. Because the world's pressing in and culture's pressing in and social media and things that they're exposed to, and I recognize it requires great wisdom and great discernment. But we also have to say, like, they're going to find those things at some point. Why would I not want to help them learn those lessons under my care? Why would I not want to take them to God's word myself when they're in my home? Rather than them be exposed to something outside of my care, and they don't have anybody to lean on. They don't have anybody to trust. I'll tell you a story. I didn't tell this in the first service. We were dropping Cooper off to college last week, and we were putting his dorm together. Corey did an incredible job putting his dorm together, and I was no help. I was just kind of standing around getting in the way, and... My brother, we FaceTimed at one point to show him Cooper's dorm, and my brother made a statement to Cooper. He said, Coop, hey, listen, it's Uncle Jason. Listen, if there's ever a time you can't call your dad, you get one call a semester to me. You can just call Uncle, you just call me. If you can't call your dad, you can call me. We hung up. I was like, don't listen to him. You can always call me, right? I don't know what he's talking about. You can always call me. But what we want you to know is like, hey, in in our home, to the best of our ability, we're trying to teach and train our children now that they can always turn to us. They can always go to God's word. We we empower them with the Holy Spirit to seek the Spirit of God, to put on the full armor of God so that they can stand firm. We teach them how to do that in our home so that they can still be in this world, but not of it, not of its substance, that they can be set apart even while being in relationship with those who are not. 
One last word to moms and dads in the room who have some sons and daughters who have strayed away. They're, they're not in the faith. They're not in the church. They may not even have a relationship with you in this season of time right now. And you don't really know what to do. You pray, you cry. You pray, you cry. You've done all that you can do. Maybe you've kind of given them over to whatever God would have for them, and you're just not really sure what to do next. Let me just say to you, keep praying. Keep believing. Keep the light on for them, and we, your church family, will join you in those prayers. The prodigal sons and daughters are going to come home. I think in this next season of ministry, we're going to see that over and over and over There's going to be incredible testimonies where you come on a Sunday and you introduce me to a son or daughter who was away from the faith, but now they are in the family of faith because you kept praying and kept believing and we joined you in prayer and we trusted God in this next season. I'm just believing testimonies of those sons and daughters, those prodigals coming back home to the family of faith. Keep praying, keep believing. Marriage, parenting, the last function I want to look at, there's a ton of other ones. I had to cut a ton down this week. The last function I want us to look at is our schedules, our schedules. And you're like, I don't, can you preach on schedules? We're about to, okay, we're about to. (laughs) My favorite episode, I think, of the Andy Griffith Show. Some of you don't even have a clue what that is, but that was when TV was great, okay? My favorite episode of the Andy Griffith Show was the one with the traveling preacher, the visiting preacher. And he's preaching that day, and he's encouraging them to rest, take a load off, relax, you know, and... So what do they do? They decide to make a bunch of plans to create relaxation for everybody. And to do so, they absolutely wear themselves out doing it. I mean, they are more tired at the end of the day than they were in the middle because they just worked so hard trying to create a band and put the band back together and build the bandstand back up and all these things. It's, it's crazy all that they did. And, and I recognize that as I, I watch that episode, sometimes my life feels like that. Because in my effort to do all that I desire to do or really need to do, I end those days just absolutely exhausted. Maybe you can relate as well. Your your kids are involved in a lot of things. You've got hobbies and activities. You've got a job, one or two, you know, uh, jobs for each of you, perhaps some side hustles. You've got things that you're involved in. You're involved in the church, involved in the school, extracurricular sports teams, all the things, friends, busyness that you desire, a lot of those things. But Sometimes you're just not sure how you're going to fit it all in, and your head's left spinning and trying to wonder, like, where do you find any relief? Where do you find any kind of rest in the middle of that chaos? I I love this quote from John Maxwell. He says this. He says, the question is not if your calendar will get filled. The question is who gets to fill your calendar. The question is not if it will get filled. It will get filled up, but the question is who gets to fill your calendar. And while I appreciate that unless you're your own boss, there are definitely times when someone else can speak into your schedule and require you to do things that weren't necessarily your idea. For the most part, we are as busy as we choose to be. For the most part, we are as busy as we choose to be. And there's something in our brains, checking off a to-do list, being involved in so many things, that releases dopamine in our brains, and we get this high from accomplishing something, or being a part of something, or being accepted into a group. And so we love that feeling, and our brain keeps pushing us towards those environments more and more, so that we experience that rush over and over and over again. But ultimately, we have to recognize that we are as busy as we choose to be. How many of us, and I'm so guilty of this, when somebody says, hey, how are you? How you doing? Busy. 
That's our response. That's, that's not a, a state of being. That's not a condition. It's a choice that we have made so often in most of the seasons of our time. So the question is, what role do we want our schedules and our busyness to play in the function of our families? What role do we want it to play? We must prioritize what's important. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says it this way. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time, not being unwise. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul says, while everything is permissible, it doesn't mean that everything's beneficial. Now, there's definitely a different context theologically that he's referencing in this setting, but I think the words are still true, that there are some things you could do and some things you want to do that maybe you shouldn't do. It's not beneficial for you or your family, and so you have to prioritize what is important. Be wise with your schedule, with your calendar. And so what are the things that you should prioritize? Absolutely, you should prioritize church and faith as a family. I believe that you should. I believe that your family will be better. Your relationship with your children will be better. Not when church and faith and those things are just out on the fringes and something we choose to do on a semi-occasional basis, but when we just build it into the everyday of our life. It's not just something we do for an hour on Sunday. We talk about it at the dinner table. We, we reference scriptures and text messages and we pray for one another and like we're just making faith a part of the central part of our family, but we are prioritizing church together. We're prioritizing eating together as a family. That doesn't always mean it's got to be a three or five or seven course meal. You could pick up fast food and eat it around the table together, put it on TV trays in the living room and just eat together to spend time together. Prioritize creating experiences together. They don't have to be super expensive, but just create some experiences together and honor God with your calendar. Honor God with your calendar. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to create empty space. You know, God created the heavens and the earth and all that was created in six days. And what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. He rested. It's not something we're good at in our culture. It's not something that we always create space and time for. We rest whenever there's a little time left off. But what if we started by giving that priority in our week, priority in our month, priority in our year, that creating space and rhythm for rest and stillness because it teaches us about the nature of God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. In the chaos of the world that we live in, in the busyness of our calendars and our schedules, with all the things that are going on, sometimes the only way to hear God's voice is in stillness. It's in the quiet. It's in the resting place between things. At the start of a day, at the start of a week, before everybody else in your house gets up, you just kind of move into that sacred space and ask God to meet you there. After everybody's gone to bed, you put the kids to bed, all the chaos is kind of cleaned up from the day or maybe we're leaving it for tomorrow and we just sit in the stillness of a quiet home that maybe it's the only quiet time all day long. And we just ask God to meet us there. It's in a moment, on a commute to work, 20, 30, 40 minute commute perhaps to work. And instead of turning on sports talk or listening to a podcast or finishing an audio book, we just turn off the noise and we sit in the stillness and we seek to know God. Be still and know that I am God. What an incredible place to land this series. Because I want my family to know God. 
I want your family to know God, to be grounded in his word, centered on faith, that it's a part of the language of our household, that your marriage and your parenting and your grandparenting and your schedules and your money, all of these functions of family don't run our family. In fact, you might say it this way, that the functions of family should still allow us to function as family. That everything that's pulling for our time and our attention still allows us to function as a family. To to invest in relationship with one another, to know one another well. And to allow the functions of family to still allow us to function as a family. If you don't take anything away from these four weeks, I want you to remember these things. Not lyrics to a Jonas Brothers song. Not even forgiveness and faith and friendship and functions. I want you to cling to these words of truth. Your family can be healthy. You can thrive. Your marriage really does matter. Your kids can be saved. You can simplify your schedule and prioritize togetherness. And some of us, we've sat all four weeks in this series and others of us, we came today and we've listened for just the last 30 minutes or so. And we might be asking this question, God, why did you put me in this family? Why did you put me here? If I would have known then what I know now, I wouldn't have married them. If we would have known what kids would add and the complexity and the chaos of life, I don't know how the decisions would have turned out. If I would have known that my child would marry that person and I would be left to build a relationship with somebody I don't understand who's so different from me and believes different. Like, God, why did you put me in this family? Maybe that's the question we're asking. But I think it's the wrong question. I think instead the only natural question in response to these four weeks is this. God, how can you use me in the family I'm in? God, how can you use me in the family that I'm in? Because I'm in. This is, this is us. This is our family. This is, this is our marriage. These are our kids. These are our grandkids. This is our in-laws. Like this is, this is our family. So God, how might you use me in the family that I'm in? I got to figure it out, God. I got to figure it out. I got to figure out how to live according to your plan and find your best in all the mess of family. So God, how can you use me in the family that I'm in? I'm just going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes right where you're at. Nobody's looking around. Just a moment of reflection, just for a moment. And I encourage you to ask yourself and ask the Lord that question. God, how can you use me in the family that I'm in? God, how can you use me in the family that I'm in? And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, to allow God to use me, I need to be in relationship with God, and and I'm not. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I need him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, nobody's looking around. I'm just going to ask you just to lift your hand right where you're at. We want to pray for you in just a moment. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're not the only one. If that's you, just lift it right where you're at. Thank you so much. And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I just need you to pray for my family. 
I don't have to know the need. Just say, hey, I just need you to pray for my family. If that's you, would you lift your hand? So many of us today. So many of us today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you, God, that we have an opportunity to respond to your word in the midst of a day filled with fun and excitement and celebration. We've created this sacred space and invited you into it because we need you to do what only you can do. So God, for every single one of us, we ask you to help us to answer that question. God, how can you use me in the family that I'm in? And God, right now, I pray for every person that lifted their hand to ask you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. And if that was you, if you did lift your hand, I encourage you right now, say, God, forgive my sins and be my Lord. Lead and guide my life. Give him control right now. Give him permission. Ask him to do that work in your heart. We believe he'll save you. And God, I pray right now for every person that just acknowledge their need for you to do a work in their family. I don't know the need, but God, you do. And so wherever there's hurt, God, would you heal it? Wherever things seem lost and maybe left for dead, God, would you resurrect it back to life? Would you just infuse families with a sense of affection and love for one another that they receive out of the love that you have for them? God, I pray for prodigals to come home. I pray for lost sons and daughters to find faith again. That the training that their moms and dads have done to instill faith in them, the seeds that were planted or those that were planted by someone outside of their home, if faith wasn't a context when they were growing up, God, I just pray right now that you'd bring them home. And wherever they are on this Sunday morning, that they would know that there's a church family praying for them right now. Fill those rooms with a sense of your presence. We pray for every family in our church and everyone in our community that it would glorify you for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.